Welcome to the Motherhood Village Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez-Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox, and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello, welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I have a very special guest, Miss Joy Acaso, who's here with us today. Joy, how are you? Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I am doing well. Awesome. Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about you before we get started? Sure. Uh, I am a mom of two kids. One is going to high school next year and the other one in third grade. And our current dilemma is that they're going to different schools. So we're trying to navigate that. And we just um, celebrated our 15 year anniversary. So that's exciting. And when I'm not doing the mom and wife duties, I am an anxiety support coach and licensed psychotherapist. So I work with my clients um, just helping them navigate stress, anxiety, um, or even trauma. Awesome. Um, I know we spoke briefly about that and I saw it was your anniversary. So happy anniversary. Thank okay, you. before we dive into all of that, um, let's do my icebreaker round. What is your favorite book? Oh, so this is hard because I, I read a lot and I know you and I had such a great conversation about this. Um, but I think uh, for... This time's sake, I'm going to pick um, Quiet Strength by Susan Cain. It is about um, the introverts of the world. Um, My brother was the one who actually uh, recommended it to me many, many years ago. And every time I re-listen to it, uh, just um, like helps me with my passion and also makes my heart so full because she's like the guru of um, introverts and that's You may not know this, but I am introverted, but also she just really helps introverts like navigate what it's like to find their passion and their commitment and how they can impact the world. So I love that book. Awesome. What are the values that guide you and your family? Values. Um, That's like, (laughs) I think that's one of the things that we, my husband and I evaluate you know, constantly to make sure that we're on track. But right now, I think our values are love is number one. Ease, ease meaning like, you know, flow and finding things that we're not struggling as a family. Uh, Fun, energy, of course, and clarity is also something that we value as a family. I love that Um, because I think they all bring in different perspectives and they're all things different ways of having the clarity through life. So yeah, I love that. Um, How has motherhood transformed you? (laughs) Motherhood has transformed me in so many, many ways. Um, I think that I've learned to surrender Mm -hmm. and relinquish control and really listen and engage with my kids. Um, I was thinking about this over the weekend. And, you know, when we want to break cycles in in our families, in our culture. I think one of the very first steps is really listening to the kids that are in front of us, right? And so that we can do differently. Wow. 
It's true because I think sometimes, I think listening, you know, we always say communication is key, but I think really listening is a skill that gets lost in the mix. Yes. Um, because, yeah, you could be a great quote-unquote communicator, but if you don't have the skill to really listen, then how can you communicate or even think to help the person if you haven't really listened to what they truly need? Yeah. As opposed to your idea, especially with our children, of yes. what we think they need or what we think they want when a lot of times it's not even that you know we could be so far off Absolutely. with it um so Absolutely. yes if you can travel anywhere right now where would you go i'm gonna say santorini because i've never been there and i hear santorini is absolutely beautiful i think one of our our it's not in the broward mom collective but my mompreneur groups she just was in santorini oh I know. so pictures jealous. were amazing okay it takes a village to raise a child um, so who has had the most impact on your life other than your parents or parental figures that helped you? And then on the flip side, who's part of your motherhood village or what is part of your motherhood village with your children? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I think my my fellow moms, right? Um, and just, you know, really having that engagement with community. There's so many um, podcasts like this part of my village um just listening i listened to your 100th episode where you you were interviewed um i enjoyed it so much um things like that like i think i learned early on that if the village is not physically within my proximity i can have a podcast i can have a book to like mentor me and you know guide me um in that direction um thankfully i've grown with um a few uh, people in my youth group who are also now mothers. And so we share, um, that makes me feel old, but we shared so many things in motherhood and things like that. And just being able to be like in a circle of uh, people who don't judge you, right? Because that's really important. So. And then do you, can you imagine or when you were growing up, who kind of influenced you or what influenced you in your household with your parents that you could look back and be like, oh, I think that was part of my mom's village, part of my dad's village. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, My parents were part of this Filipino church, this small church in um, Hollywood, and they were pioneers um, at that church. And so many of the women um, and really families in that church, like took me under their wings. Um, And so they mentored me. Um, and they shared, you know, valuable wisdom that and to this day I carry with me. So definitely. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into what you do. So I find this fascinating because you're an anxiety support coach and a psychotherapist. So why don't we say a little bit of what each of them are and then your journey to want to become those two things? Those two things? Yeah. Oh, okay. I am, um, I had posted about this, but I am a walking a contradiction because I am an Asian mental health therapist. Um, and even to this day, you know, people do a double take. They're like, what? You're a therapist, but you're Asian. Oh. And, but you're Filipino too. So Filipinos who come usually to the United States really end up working as nurses or something, you know, in the medical field, hospital, clinic, that kind of work. Um, and my mom she encouraged me for many years to become a nurse, um, but that wasn't in my heart. So my journey to becoming a therapist was so, like, it took many, many years um, to get here, but I wouldn't trade it 
for the world. Um, I, in back in my undergrad, I started um, writing a paper on social welfare, and that's how I got. It's a, you know, that's how I got into like social work. I was actually working with the youth at my church, but I didn't know that there was social work because in the Philippines, there's no I mean, mental there health. Is, yes. So um, I got interested, I became interested in the social work field. Um, and then I became licensed as a, a social licensed clinical social worker, which allows us to work as a mental health therapist or a psychotherapist. And I loved it so much that I stayed in the field. It's been over uh, 15 years now. Um, however, I also uh, started training within the last 10 years in neuroscience, brain health, and trauma resilience. And I combined all of that to call myself an anxiety support coach, where I now really specialize in um, anxiety, stress, and trauma. So it's really an offshoot of being a psychotherapist in a way that like, I'm actually specializing. Sure. And what are ways that... Um because that's that's impactful in so many different ways so even to hear your story and to say okay you know I think there's so many different layers there so your family's from the Philippines yes. and you know mental health isn't really well, actually we were just talking about this um before we were like in a lot of, it's very cultural so in a lot of cultures yeah. you know it's like you don't complain Right. You just survive yes, and yes. you just keep going because that is just what it is. Yes. Um, you don't really have time to say, wait, what do I want? What do I need? What am I lacking? Um, what do I not want to repeat with my own children? Like to really sit back. So I am very thankful um, that we are in that space that now in 2022, yes. there's women like you, that there's women like you that maybe a young Filipino or Asian woman can see and say, wow, you know, Um the impact of, of even having mental health issues, I think, is so important because the generation now and then the younger generations to come can recognize that. That's true. Um, so that's that's, that's one true. thing I want to put out there. Number two. So, OK, yeah. So you're, you're navigating this. You become a psychotherapist. Explain what does that mean? How do you help your patients on both levels? Um, and I guess I should say, what have you learned? You know. Yeah. In the, I know we talked briefly yeah. about this offline, but um, because I would imagine the brain is so complicated and there's so many things yes. that are untouched. But I guess if you can say high level, like, okay, what have you learned? Kind of how do you help your patients? And then what's your favorite thing about kind of all of it putting together? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I think I'm going to answer the second question. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. First. Um, I think my my favorite thing is really making it the information accessible to everyone. Um, because when you talk about neuroscience and brain health, it's so scientific, but the information itself is not healing. Like you have to really help clients apply that and like, okay, so now how does that translate to my day to day? If you're just telling me, you know, this is how the brain works. Okay, that's nice. <laughs> How right. does it apply to me? How do I yes. use that? What do I do with this? Yes. So um, my favorite thing is that like making it accessible to everyone and breaking down the complex, um, you know, information with no psychobabble, as I like to call it, and really just understanding like, 
okay, I can remove the shame and the guilt, right? Like my clients can finally say, oh, there's no shame and guilt for feeling anxious. There's no shame and guilt for, you know, worrying so much because these are all learned behaviors. Um, and I think that's what I've learned too. Like a lot of um, the things that we carry on from generation to generation are just learned behaviors and habits um, that, you know, we haven't stopped and reflected on. Um, and then, you know, because we just live like that, there's also that shame and guilt that we feel for being the way that we are when really that's so far from the truth. A hundred percent. It's funny because I had a conversation um, with my mom and she was like, yeah, you know, but um, you know, the woman and this is kind of who I am. And I was like, yeah, but there's also has to be growth behind that. You know, I think a lot of the older generation, they do kind of have this ideology of like, but this is, you know, this is who I am. This is how I was raised. This is what it is. Yes. But I think we're understanding is like, no, but growth is inevitable. So I think to your point, even culturally, we can actually feel guilty and shameful for then breaking the generational trauma. Absolutely. Breaking the generational, um, I don't even want to say trauma because then everything is trauma, but breaking whatever generational, generational bad habits um, that have filtered down that we just continue to repeat because going to the point, because we we see it and we just think that that's how it has to be when it doesn't have to be. So speak on some ways that you help your clients um, really dig deep and break some of those habits, um, support them through their anxiety, um, and really help them navigate their brain health. Absolutely. Um, the digging deep doesn't happen on the first session, right? Like I'm very, very careful about that because um, I could, like my clients could easily be re-traumatized or, I, uh, you know, I could, they could easily be put in that stressful situation again Um, if I'm not careful with like how I ask them questions, right? Um, You know, there's a meme. I should have reviewed that meme because it's so funny. It was something about like, oh, my therapist, we started talking about pizza. And then all of a sudden, why am I here crying (laughs) about my childhood trauma? Um, So the the digging deep um, is a process and it takes a while, uh, depending on the situation, depending on the client, depending on their readiness Mm -hmm. to talk about it. Um, I am very client-centered. So, you know, I always tell my clients, don't force yourself to remember everything. So this is another piece to it. The brain works very, like, in a protective way. So it will hide certain things that don't make sense. Um, it will hide things that don't fit the narrative. It'll like, it'll like bury it deep. Like yes. this doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what I'm going through this. So it just, it, it buries itself. It goes away. Yes. Because if it didn't happen almost. Yes, that's correct. So, you know, um, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, but I don't remember anything. How, what am I even going to talk about? That's actually okay. Like, You know, most people, we don't remember a lot of things, especially if it's a stressful event, the brain will kind of hide it, right? So um, I tell my clients, you know, don't force yourself to remember everything. That is not the goal of coaching or therapy. 
This is all a process. This is all a journey. So I just come alongside my clients to be their guide. And whatever they're ready to talk about, you know, we we talk about, we also talk about things that, you know, make them feel happy, um, things that make them feel accomplished and successful so that we can replicate those things. Um, but in the digging deep, you know, we can go as far back as, you know, childhood, um, uh, how they, how they related to their caregivers and their adults growing up because that definitely has an impact in their relationships in adulthood. We call that attachment. Sure. Um, and so things like that, that is also a huge interest for me as far as, you know, childhood um, and things like that and how children at quote unquote attach to their caregivers and adults and how um, that really influences, you know, the way they think about themselves um, in adulthood. Um, what about for someone who sits there and thinks, cause you, I know you were saying if someone listens to this, but thinks, Oh, well, I don't, I don't like, I, I like for me when I, when I had my therapy sessions, I remember yeah. I had some stuff I wanted to talk about. And then at some point I felt guilty. Cause I felt like maybe she oh, was like, you don't have any pro- like, you don't have any problems. Like <gasps> I hear people with bigger problems, you know? So I, yeah. I, and I expressed that and she was like, no, you know, don't feel that way. You know, therapy is, is like any, like you would a fitness regimen, uh, a regimen or a nutrition plan. She's like, it's just part of your health. So what would you say to someone who might feel like me as well? That is like, I don't, I guess you kind of touch on it. You're like, if you don't remember, but maybe if you don't even think that you have trauma or take the trauma piece out of it, who sure. just thinks that I don't need to go to therapy, you know, I'm good. You know, what would you speak on to that? What would you tell that person who's listening? That's like, Oh no, therapy's not for me. Yeah, no, I know. I understand. <laughs> Part of the stigma is that because therapy for many, many years, right, we saw it as like, okay, I use therapy if I have a mental illness, right? I use therapy if there is a deep trauma um, uh, or abuse or neglect in my life, right? And, and I completely understand that. But I love that we can talk about it today because I can say that therapy has evolved. Yes. Over the years, um, you can use therapy for anything that you want. Um, you can use it for like, okay, I have a goal and I haven't been able to reach it. So that one is not related to trauma. It's not related to um, mental illness. It's just, I have a goal and why am I not, you know, getting there? Sure. And you can use therapy for that. And the one one of my favorite things to say about therapy is that you don't need a diagnosis, you know, to give yourself permission to grow. So you can use therapy for growth um, as well, or like just to improve communication with your spouse or something like that. Like, so it doesn't have to be like you said, deep mm-hmm. um, to go to that level that they think. Like yes. you said, because it's been um, there's been this uh, stigma along with it that. Yeah, if you if you're going to see a therapist or when you when you talk about that 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 means that there's something Correct. wrong that you have a mental quote unquote illness. Yes. Um. So yeah. So thank you for for uh, clarifying that. So in October of 2021, um, children's mental health became a national emergency. What does that mean? And what can we do as parents? This is a motherhood podcast, so let's kind of yes. go to parenting aspect of it. What can we do as parents, and what does that mean? So um. <clears throat> Uh, I've been practicing, like I said, for over 15, I've never 15 years and I've never, ever heard 
of a national emergency on mental health. So um, this is also fascinating for me as um, both a mom and a professional. So what happened um, was that so three main organizations um, came together in 2021 and said, okay, there's just too much um, going on in the adolescent mental health world. Um, because when the COVID pandemic hit and the shutdown hit, we saw a lot of, um, you know, children and teens more and more coming to the emergency room because they experience a panic attack or because they experience too much anxiety. And what happens too, is that there's now, because there's so much need, there's also a shortage of resources and therapists. And therapists are, were, uh, I think it's, it's, a, it's getting better now and reopening again, but therapists were getting burnt out just like hospital workers were. Yeah. Because in such a short time, we saw like an influx mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden of like, you know, um, just depression too was in there depression anxiety um and panic disorders or panic attacks i should say mm -hmm. and as parents what we can really do i think is going back to the listening and not dismissing um you know what our children present to us even if i think you and i talked about this too like even if it came from tiktok <laughs> And they said, you know, if they come home one day and they say, mom, I saw this on TikTok and it says that I have anxiety disorder. Please do not dismiss that, you know, um, have that conversation. Um, explore you off, that what are some them. questions that they can ask? So let's say if, if you're a mom and you're completely, look, you're working, you have no idea what's going on yeah. and they come to you you're like, wait, what, what are you talking about? Maybe give some tips or a couple uh, questions that they can ask absolutely. that they can be like, whoa, okay, let's talk about this. Yes, yes. That's, that's awesome. Um, so, you know, if they come to you and they say like, and you have no idea what anxiety disorder even means, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> or what, what TikTok means. Exactly. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I am late to the game too. So, <laughs> yeah. right. So, okay. So let them show you mm -hmm. what the video is, right? So you can listen to it too. And like, try to understand. Um, it is not your burden as a mom or as a parent to know whether your child has anxiety disorder or not. Right. So like there's a big distinction. Um, that's not your burden to investigate your first and foremost responsibility or, you know, what is another word for responsibility? Like just to listen. Yeah. Right. Like, and to engage in a conversation so that they can process what they're even thinking. Sure. Right. So that they can even make sense of whatever it yes. is. Yes. They're seeing something. This thing is telling them that something that, let's be clear here, something that they highly respect and yes. um, put value in and put um, substance into. So they have this yeah. thing, they're, they're, they're taking it for what it is and they're like, whoa. And I think to your point, it could be many different things, not just the anxiety aspect of it or, or being diagnosed on TikTok. I think yes. there's so many levels and you you make a good point with that of whether it's TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, uh, um, yes. YouTube. Yes. I think we're living in this information age um, where things can get misconstrued, 
Absolutely. real with none. So I think to your point, I think it's so important to like, like you said, don't dismiss it and really break it down and say, okay, let's figure this out together because they're probably trying. They're also maybe a little scared, a little confused. Yeah, they just heard this and they're like, what sure. do we do? And I would That's imagine good. as a child that if your parents, I mean, I'm, I'm sure if we think back to ourselves, um, where you've ever felt dismissed. Yes. You shut down. Yes. Right. Yes. And then, you know, the person who arguably is like your your top level, your parents that you're coming to with this, then shut right. you down. I would imagine that probably um, is more, um, and I don't want to say hurtful, but more damaging. I don't know if that's the right word either. Yeah. Of adding to that, because then I think at Absolutely. some point, then they stop coming to you. Yes. I was just going to say that, because if yeah. we dismiss them, where are they going to go? They're going to go to their friends. Yeah. Or maybe even TikTok. I messaged the person that <laughs> did the video. Yeah. Um, I've worked with families before where the teens will say, you know, I've been telling my mom, I've been trying to tell my mom this for the last two years. And they just finally got help. Right. So we don't want to be in that situation. Um, you know, so just if they do that, just um, make sure that you stop everything that you're doing. Maybe not right then and there, right? Like find a time and say, okay, let's talk about this, you know, after sure. dinner or something like that when I can sit down with you and really pay attention to, you know, what you're trying to tell me. And to what you were asking, you know, what are some questions that we can ask? Um, you know, one of the things um, that I tell my clients is that that phrase of tell me more, right? So when they present something to you you say you know okay you know tell me more like what 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 part of this video um you know resonate resonated with you uh you know what part of this video spoke to you right um I don't know that you're gonna want to ask you know why do you think you have anxiety disorder so the more specific that you are the better so that's why I said like you know what part of the video spoke to you sure right? Like what words, you know, jumped at you um, so that they can, again, engage in a dialogue in a conversation. And breaking it down. May I ask, do you think sometimes as parents and have you seen this now that you've, you know, 15 years of being kind of in this space, maybe sometimes parents don't hear because they are in denial? Mm. That if they think that their child comes and says, hey, I think I see this or or, I think I might have this or I am feeling this, you know, that sometimes we don't want to hear that because we're in denial of what that may be. Yes, yes, that can definitely play a role because anxiety disorder. I mean, I guess it sounds scary, right? It's like, what do you mean you have a disorder, right? Um, And so, you know, if like if that even comes into your radar like if your if your teen right or if your child is ready to talk to a professional i think you you should welcome that that does not necessarily mean they have a disorder i can i can attest you know to that that um once a child a teen or the entire family unit understands what how anxiety works mm-hmm. it's like disorder uh, anxiety being a disorder isn't, at least for me, isn't my go-to. Sure. Of it being like the number one thing that you're going to say, oh, this part to diagnose it. Yes, like, no, that's no, correct. Not, I gotcha. Yes. Now, let's go back to the parent side of things. Um, how important is it for a parent's mental health um, 
to be strong, to be on point? And how does, how have you seen read um, a parent's mental health can affect their parenting? How does it affect their children? Why don't you speak about, about that? Absolutely. Um, so scientifically speaking, we know now that um, the, uh, the stress factor um, in parents can actually pass in vitro, right? Like, so during, I think it's like the third trimester, um, the cortisol, which is a stress hormone, can pass through the placenta. So, you know, that, um, I read that that research has been going on for years. But what we also know now is that not only the stress hormones, but also the defense mechanisms that parents carry within them. So the defense mechanisms like the fight or flight um, or freeze and fawn, uh, that can also pass through the placenta. So we know that there is that like um, you know, natural passing, <laughs> like the passing, right? Body, DNA, sure, that kind of thing. Um, but also, let's say there was no like traumatic, right? Two traumatic experiences, you know, in the parents. Heart Math Institute did a study, um, and their institute is big on like the brain and the heart and how they um, communicate. Mm -hmm. So uh, the HeartMath Institute did a study and they found that anyone who is within three feet um, of your vicinity can mm -hmm. feel the electromagnetic waves coming from your heart. So um, going back to a parent's mental health, whether it's not even just what we say or do, it's what we don't say and- The way our energy right? is, is- Yes. The energy that we're giving off. And how- Yes. Wow. So kids can feel that. And let me ask for anyone listening who maybe didn't even. So what do I guess? What do you suggest? then? maybe there's. Yeah. OK. On, I would imagine. OK. If there's someone who knows that they've had some PTSD, that maybe they've had some trauma. I would imagine you would say and correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe look into that, you know, Absolutely. tap into that. But going back to your original point, what if there's someone who doesn't think they have any trauma or because they've forgotten about it, um, they don't think like how can it be affected. What then do you suggest for a mom? Because that's deep. I've I've thought about it, and my son yeah. has separation anxiety with certain things, and I, and I and I say that loosely because I mean yes, he can still yes. leave, but he's very attached to me. But after having him and even going through my pregnancy, I remember being very fearful that I was either oh. going to miscarry because I had gotten pregnant so fast, and I was like waiting almost, I mean, I was very in gratitude, but almost waiting for the shoe to drop, you know, because everything was just hitting perfectly. So I've yeah. thought about it. I'm like, I wonder if he has felt that, like if he also is why he's a little reserved and why he pauses before he does certain things because I carried that. So I say all that to say for someone like me who didn't think I had any, I, I didn't expect that, right? That, yes, that all happened yes. once I became a mom. I yes. Never had anxiety before, never thought of anything what are some tips that you can share there for maybe a new mom or someone entering that space so that they're not feeling super guilty that they're like, Oh, oh my God, I know. you know, yes. speak on that. Yeah. Disclaimer. We're not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is not to um, make us feel guilty or shameful um, because whatever trauma or experience, you know, we've had in our lives is not our fault, right? Yes. Like we didn't cause it. 
right? Um, and you and me both, like, I think I see it in my kids too and how they're so careful. And growing up, I was very careful. Like I calculated all my risks. Like I didn't, you know, actually I wasn't a risk taker or anything like that. And I see that, you know, sometimes in my kids. Um, and I know that that is the energy sure. that I had, you know, as a new mom, as a new parent. Um, you know, I've had clients before who even before conception, they'll they'll come and say, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm okay, right? Like, so you can use therapy or coaching for that. Um, just want to make sure I can prepare, you know, yeah. for motherhood um, and things like that. And maybe even take a personality, you know, assessment with a therapist or a coach. And just to see, like, you know, what kind of, like, uh, viewpoint or perspective you have in parenting and things like that and really build on that foundation, you know, for your family. Um, because you can also use coaching and therapy proactively and preventively, right? For sure. And I mean, to the point, I mean, I think you still don't know how you're going to be until you're a parent. Yeah. Um, I think maybe in hindsight, I can see some of the stuff coming out that maybe I didn't expect to have until you then become a parent. Um, so I would imagine if anyone listening to this, which is why it's so important than the postpartum aspect of it, that if you are like in hindsight, even though my son is only four, I wish I would have went back and maybe spoke on it sooner of like, wait, is this normal that mm. I didn't want to go to public places because I was so fearful I was going to be judged because I thought my son, you know, crying for longer mm. than five minutes was going to get like the stairs. Like, can you, you know quiet your baby. And then I was breastfeeding. So I was like, what if someone says, oh my God, she's breastfeeding. Like I had all of these um, negative things and no idea where they came from. So a lot of times I wouldn't even go out because the thought of that yes. riled me up inside, but it took a long time. I had to pray a lot, talking to my husband, but I never went after any professional help until now, just recently of me being like, wait, I think I still need to talk about this because I still, some of those feelings still come up. They're not as often are as big, but in other ways. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say there is then the the aspect comes that when a mother does have their child, how important it is for the resources for them to have um, once they have a baby and some of the signs to recognize that they might be feeling anxiety. Do you want to yes. maybe speak on that? Some things yes. that might spark that? So you brought up a very, very good point. And one of the signs that we look for is um, pleasurable activities, right? So if your um, emotions are sort of like stopping you from going outside, there's a family gathering and you're, you keep avoiding it, right? Like that can be like, yeah. okay, maybe that's a point that like, okay, I may need to talk about this a little bit more or maybe explore it, right? Like if you're not ready to um, talk to a professional, maybe read up on it, you know, a little bit and see how it is affecting you. Um, are you isolating yourself more and more? Are you withdrawing from things that used to bring, you know, pleasure to you, but not anymore. Um, things that used to feel easy, for you, but now it's like a burden, sure, right? Hobbies that, you know, you enjoyed before or even um, relationships and connections that you used to enjoy, but not anymore. That is definitely a big sign, a very big sign. Yes. Can you share, um, going to the family aspect, can you share maybe some practical steps that families can come together yeah. and really prioritize their mental health? Um, 
And I would imagine it can start as early as, or as soon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right? Like as soon as you, yeah, maybe talk about like how soon, how early, or, you know, when, you know, to pri prioritize their mental health and the practical yes. steps that they can take. Absolutely. Um, one of the most important, you know, things as a family unit is really to, so we talked about like the parents individually taking care of their mental health and then the parents being, um, you know, the sort of like the ones who help, you know, the kids like integrate um, how to prioritize their mental health by building it in their schedule. Um, not so much like naming it uh, formally as like, okay, this is a time for our mental health or anything like that. But I would say there's um, at least three things that would benefit um, families to integrate in their schedule and their routine. Number one is downtime. So Harvard um, University did a study that for individuals who took two minutes Two minutes is not, well, I mean, it's not nothing if we're not used to it, but um, two minutes is it all it takes apparently um, of downtime. Now, downtime means like you don't do anything. You just kind of stare at the wall or the ceiling or something like that. Um, you know, for all the family, just at least two minutes of that each day. Um, number two is a reflection time. Or quiet time. So it's it has to be age appropriate, of course, sure. activities that, you know, your children can do or maybe even as a family, um, whether it's prayer time mm -hmm. or, um, you know, reading a book together, inspirational book together. Right. Like that could be a reflection time sure. um, and then play time. Play time is so, so important, even for adults. Mm -hmm. Play time as in like whether your kids are directing the play. Right. Or um, you're the one that's, you know, doing that so that your your brain can rest um, a little bit from focused work. Sure. Um, and then what are some ways teens and young adults, what are some ways teens and young adults can reduce and recognize anxiety? Because I think that's a big one. Um, and I'm sure, you know, you've seen a lot of in your research and stuff with um, social media. Yes. along with the pandemic. Um, there's so much I'm sure that even experts don't know because it's still such new territory. Like I'm sure yes. they can see yes. statistics with certain things, but the data is so fresh. Um, so yeah, what are some ways, um, especially to parents that are listening with teens, tweens, young adults, that they can help to recognize what those signs are yes. um, and things, some things that they can do? So the three things that we look for um, when it comes to teens and children, and really even with adults, right? If your uh, teens are, like their patterns of sleep, um, their patterns of appetite, and their, again, their social connection, if those, if any of those three things um, change uh, drastically, sure. and they're not well, I mean, I know sleep is um, tricky with teenagers, <laughs> but as much as you can, you know, try to see if the pattern of sleep um, has changed. Sleep is so important, and I harp on it so much, even with my kids. Only 8% of teens in America um, are getting their get, adequate. Yeah. Yes. I would imagine. And that's, 
that affects everything else because sleep helps recharge the brain cells, which then, you know, affects everything else um, that we do, decisions that we make, you know, our moods, our attitudes. Mm -hmm. So those three things I would look for, you know, and observe and monitor just to see, is their appetite, like, are they, um, is their appetite good? Like, you know, are they having as much quality sleep? as they can and then um social connection are they connecting with the the friends or are they withdrawing and isolating just the same as i had mentioned earlier sure. that would be a sign too. and like you said i think with teens it is tricky um and I, I remember being a teen i don't have a teen yet but i would imagine yeah because we have so many i mean i remember locking myself in my room you know yes. but i was going through something with an ex of mine an ex-boyfriend so thankfully it wasn't serious but in hindsight, I mean, my parents really didn't know. So I can, yeah. I, I, I now recognize that maybe some of the worry I place on them because they're like, she's always in her room. Like what is going on? Because I did kind of withdraw. Okay. Um, okay. So, but like you said, it's tricky, right? Because you yes. don't know what's normal. Just they're just being a teen and what that line is. Um, but I would, I would imagine it also stems to whatever your gut is kind of telling you, like if there's something yes. wrong yes. to reach That's out. Um, I sure. want to ask one uh, question regarding that um, or to elaborate on there. Where are some resources that parents may go to other than you, which I will yes. put and you can tell my um, listeners how they may connect with you. But what are some other resources that parents might not know that are available to them? online or where they can read please if you would speak on that for sure um one of the uh companies that i had actually done projects with is called the big life journal um they have tons of resources they also have a journal for teens another tricky one because some teens don't really want to journal but but I do tell parents, you know, um, they don't have to journal. They don't have to write on it. What you can do is use it as a resource, as a parent, right? And then you can have the discussions using the chapters in the book. And, you know, if you just need a conversation starter sure. um, to begin with. And then um, the National Institute for Mental Health, they have like a dedicated site for youth mental health is also um, a great resource. And then now there's tons of um, mental health uh, companies that came out within the last four years that are dedicated to teen mental health, such as um, Brightline Health, uh, Charlie Health, and also Equip. So those three companies, they um, work with families and teens. Awesome. So as we wind down here, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit what you do to kind of, I like to say, release, to make you reset and to make you recharge so that you are good in your own mental health aspect. No, that is so important. Yes. (laughs) So um, I was really very bad at that at some point. Um, I think I had just... Uh, gotten better like within the last 10 years which is when I first became a mom well like 14 years ago but you know it took me a while Um, like this morning for example I made sure that I woke up and rode my bike um, because I knew I was coming here Um, and I also meditated I am a meditator Um, I just love you know going inwards you know when when I can Um, I also read and journal and pray um a lot for sure and then um yeah and I also have a coach 
yeah. you know, myself, a life coach who um, just helps me navigate and peel off the layers sure. when I can't do it myself. I'm sure because I think it's like what they say, you know, the plumber who doesn't fix their plumbing in their house or the electrician that doesn't fit because it's like they do it all the time. Yeah. So I think then you get lost in the mix again of taking care of everyone else, but then you're not doing the work inside. So I love Absolutely. how you say that you have your own coach that kind of yes. helps you say, okay, wait, I'm, I'm feeling a moment here. So thank you for sharing that. Um, how can my listeners connect with you? And then any other final thoughts? Okay. Um, I'm on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Joya Caso. I'm also on Facebook, Joya Caso Coaching. And I am on TikTok, <laughs> uh, Joya Caso uh, underscore two. Um, and I post uh, tons of resources there, uh, videos, and give as much information as I can in 60 seconds. Sometimes that's difficult, uh, but I try. Yeah. And um, if you have any questions, for sure, you can also um, email me or visit my website at uh, joyacaso.com. Which I'll put that in the show notes. And then what are your final thoughts? Oh, my final thoughts. Um, On the topic of mental health, especially with parents and mothers, right? I know that we already feel a lot of pressure on us. I know that we feel burdened about a lot of things. I just want to say that mental health is not as forceful or, you know, as rigid as... um, Social media portrays it. It's actually gen- a gentle process. And you know, you know this. Um, it's a gentle process. It's a journey um, and not a destination. You know, it is about uh, recognizing our progress and making sure that we help ourselves recall the things that, you know, are going well also in our lives because that is part of mental health. Um, I call it the success amnesia, right? Like we forget, we easily forget the things that are going well, the things that we're proud of and that we're, um, you know, accomplishing in our lives or with our families. And so that's also an important part of mental health. That was so beautifully said. Thank you so much, Joy, for coming on, for sharing your story, for sharing your expertise. Um, I'm sure someone listening can definitely resonate. So thank you so much. I am honored to have you on and continued blessings to you for love and light. Thank Thank you. you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their motherhood village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.